Hey, welcome back to another episode of e-commerce on tap brought to you by Sourceify. My name is Nathan and today we have Nate. Nate joins us from websiteclosers.com. He knows the ins and outs of selling your business. Nate, thanks so much for coming on. You got it, man. I appreciate being here. But yeah. Nate, I want to learn your story real quick. Give us the quick 30 second rundown of how you really ended up in this position to help people buy and sell businesses. And I want yeah. to just get your backstory. Yeah, I was an e-commerce entrepreneur, much like your clients are. I was looking to buy a supplement company and it didn't pass due diligence. The review phase where make sure that it is what it says it is. And I was just really curious about selling, in this case, it was vitamins and supplements around the world. Uh, I'd had a career in real estate and developing real estate projects, and I wanted to get something that was more expansive and more scalable. Going through that process of looking at buying an e-commerce supplement company, I was really inspired to go ahead and launch one, even though what I was trying to buy wasn't going to fit the bill. Got it. I started the process of looking for contract manufacturers and private label manufacturers and found some. And before I knew it, it took about eight or nine months before we hit our stride, but using some affiliate networks, I was able to scale the company to over a million dollars a month in sales, but which continued wow. for years until I ended up selling awesome. some software actually I built, ended up selling software as opposed to my actual e-commerce brand. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to sell the e-commerce brands. Actually, I take that back. I didn't really know what the market was for e-commerce brands. This is like 2017, 2018. And by then e-commerce brands, they sell really well when they're growing, not so great when they're declining. And my business yeah. <laughs> was going through, and this is very common for e-commerce brands to go through ups and downs. And I was on the downswing and going through some life changes and stuff and ended up getting divorced and moving and some other things. And I had taken my focus off the business and was focusing more on myself, but I sold my software technology and transitioned into business brokering and that was my real calling. I love selling stuff direct to consumers, but I love even more helping others and going through the, the M&A process is like the highlight of entrepreneurship. So you mentioned one thing that a lot of people talk about right now in the e-commerce world is, are we in a recession? Are we heading into a recession? How do you navigate selling a business during a recession? You mentioned just briefly that it's a bad time to sell when it's heading down and a lot of e-commerce businesses grew like crazy the past three years because they had that kind of COVID e-commerce tick. And now growth has for a lot of companies slowed. And so I guess I'm curious what you're seeing yeah. from the M&A side of these brands. We're still seeing a ton of activity and here's how we're positioning companies. If they're older than the pandemic, so if they've been around 2017, 18, 19, then what we're doing is we're taking their sales, they're both their profit and their gross sales from 2019 and 2020, and we're comparing them to 2022. And we're essentially seeing that bubble, that spike for 2020 and 2021, a lot of e-commerce brands had. And so if your 2022 mm -hmm. end of year profit and revenue is higher than your 2019, then we're right. going to go. We've got buyers got uh, and we've got a ton of buyers out there still looking for deals. One of the things that's awesome about recessions is mergers and acquisitions is mostly recession proof. In fact, when times get tough and there's less investment options like crypto and the stock market, which if it's skyrocketing, people will put their money into those. But when things are a little right. tough, a lot of invest institutional investors and professional business acquirers will go back to the fundamentals. How did they make money? entrepreneurship. How are they going to do it again? They're going to buy something. They're not going to build something. They're far too deep into the universe of entrepreneurship to want to go back to the beginning and grind all over again. 
So we do need yeah. great e-commerce companies to put on the marketplace. We've got way more buyers than we've got sellers right now. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. I'm curious, one question that comes up as we talked to a lot of e-commerce founders is when they go to sell their business, what are like the top three items that kill a deal? Like I think a lot of people, when they go about selling their business, are scared to share some of the very nitpicky details. And I think really the key to having a smooth deal is being as transparent as possible. But top of mind, what are top three items that you've seen kill a deal? Yeah, absolutely. Transparency is a big one. It all starts with the financials. The more transparent and simple and clear the income statement and the balance sheet are, the more that conveys a sense of trust and credibility to the buyer. Biggest factors that kill a deal, it's actually what we talked about a moment ago. The declining, if your business is declining and it's in a tailspin, we can't sell it. If it's right. if it's stable, we're good to go. If it's up over right. 2019, we're good to go. But yeah, declining in profits, the worst, biggest factor that'll kill a deal. And if that's happening when we're going through the selling process, if it's starting to decline, that right. will usually kill the deal. Uh, working with inexperienced mm -hmm. deal attorneys. So just like in real estate, you've right. got attorneys involved. We've got attorneys drafting the actual right. documents that assign the assets. Inexperienced deal mm -hmm. attorneys kill deals all the time. And then right. another one. Your personality, if you're generally disagreeable or unlikable, it's tough love. But yeah, if you're a jerk, it's going to be really hard to sell your company. Yeah, those are probably the top four things. Your financials, the decline in profitability, working with an inexperienced deal right. attorney, and being just unlikable. How important do you think an acquisition is for the acquirer to have the founder stay on? And does that kind of fluctuate depending on the company size? If you're selling a million dollar e-commerce brand versus a 10 million versus a $50 million brand, I would assume... And I'm not really sure, but the bigger your brand, the more likely that acquirer is going to want the founder to stay on for a year, the golden handcuffs, right? Yeah. It does depend on how you've set the company up. If you're critical to the company's success, you're going to have to be around for a while, at least a year, whether it's small or large. Big transactions, right. if it's a buyer who's like a private equity firm and they don't have an operation right. staff, which is quite frequent, the over $10 million transactions, they're funded by financial or institutional buyers and they don't have a team right. to run the business. If that's the case, then it's pretty critical you're going to need to be around for a while. If you've done a great job of delegating and outsourcing yourself and you're just, as an operator, you're just like handling strategy then you're not going right. to have to do any more work than what you're doing right now. And that's really the case in all of right. these transactions. Whatever you're doing the three months leading up to the sale is probably what you're going to have to do for the three months after the sale for a transition period. Right. And then if your business is really complicated or you're handling or micromanaging the marketing of it and the ordering mm -hmm. of it, product launches right. of it, you need to start thinking about how to have somebody else start picking up the slack on that or you're going to be stuck doing it for a while. So it sounds like the best way to avoid the golden handcuff scenario is to delegate as much as you can in your business before you start the acquisition process. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Or just be prepared that yeah. for three to 12 months after you're going to have to be doing that because we'll have a number of buyers that will buy it if you're an owner operator and you're doing the ins and the outs every day and they may take over doing that, but you're going to have to delegate to them. You're going to have to teach them. Got it. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I'm curious too, did you follow the kind of aggregator space in the Amazon ecosystem in terms of Thrasio and oh, yeah. Moonshot brands and all these other aggregators? How did you see that increase the multiples that these Amazon e-commerce brands were selling for? And then where is that space at right now? 
Yeah. So we sold a lot of companies to Thrasio and those aggregators. They definitely increased the multiple at the time. Many of them were looking for like specifically Amazon FBA companies. Later on, they started opening up and looking for Shopify stores and that sort of thing. And for those specific uh, niches, it definitely accelerated the multiple. You could see almost as much as an additional one times trailing 12 months as a multiple. So if your business is making a million dollars, the average now we're seeing on our marketplace is 3.5 to 4.5 times multiple. So a million dollar business that's growing might be worth 3.5 to 4.5 million. During that greater bubble and the pandemic, we'd see it be more like four to five. So you might be seeing that same million dollar right. company worth being worth $4 million to $5 million. And, wow. but there's still a lot of activity and we're seeing those larger deals still yeah. happening and the larger multiples happening, but they're not as much cash upfront at closing. It might have some other structure or seller finance right. or some equity or something on the back end. Yeah. Are most deals, do they have some type of earnout? And then what's common practice with earnout? And are earnouts guaranteed? And let's say I were to sell my business and roll 25% of my equity in the deal, well, I guess hopefully they resell it and I earn more in the future. Or if there's an earnout portion of that 25%, is that guaranteed? What's the most common practice with that? Yeah. So after the actual closing, there's three different common post acquisition methods for compensating the seller. You've mentioned earnouts. You mentioned equity. There's also rev shares and seller financing. So I put right. rev share and earnouts the same sort of thing. So let me start at the top and what's the most guaranteed? None. And let me state none of them are guaranteed. The only thing that's guaranteed is cash at closing. However, the number of transactions we've seen, we've done thousands of transactions that are all cash at closing, less than one percent. So for the 99% of businesses selling, there's going to be some component of the transaction that's going to be paid after closing. And the best one right, right now what we're seeing is seller finance. A seller financed component of the transaction means you get a promissory note, very similar to real estate. Sometimes we'll see people that are selling a half a million dollar house. The buyer may get $300,000 from a first mortgage, and then the seller may pick up the slack and sell another $100,000 as a note over 10 years, and then the buyer is only coming up with $100,000. Right. We're seeing things like that. It used to be in the earlier days of real estate, like in the right. in the 1950s through 80s, there weren't a lot of 100%, there weren't any 100% financing options back then. So sellers right. pick up the slack there. Works the same way here. It's usually a three to 10 year note. There might be a balloon payment somewhere in there. So you get paid off in three to five years. You're probably doing something at a lower interest rate than what they're getting from the SBA or some other finance places. So it might be between four and 6% interest rate. And yeah. you get paid like clockwork. As long as a business right. is operating and it's cash flowing, you're getting payments. Right. It could be monthly, quarterly, or annually. That's the most guaranteed because you can get what's called a UCC one on the business. So it's like a lien, like a mortgage on the business. So if something were to happen, that's some way to collect potentially back the rights of the business. The second best option is equity. If you sell, let's just use another example. It's a million dollar business and you sell 70% of it in cash at closing and you retain 30% equity, which is a structure happens quite common right now. So you'll get $700,000 in cash at closing and you'll hold $300,000 as equity. And we can set up other, some methods that we can use for you to have an option to sell that other 30% at some point in time at your discretion, it might be three years or five years down the road. So you're not having to tag along forever. 
in case somebody right. doesn't resell. They might be able to go get some more financing and pay you off in three to five years. That's a great option right. too. And you're essentially guaranteed equity in the business. That's another great method. Yeah. And then last and probably least is earnouts and rev shares. Earnouts, the business usually has to continue performing at its current level. Although we're negotiating some now where the right. business can even soften slightly. It could dip a little bit and you can still get your earnout. Right. Another way is to flip that into a rev share. So if the business grows or if it grows more than it has been under your ownership, you get 10, 15, right. 20, 25% of that increase. Got it. None of that's guaranteed that's though. The business has to perform. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm curious too, because right now I feel like a lot of founders are facing a bit of burnout, right? Because they saw so much growth the past three years and they were like, oh, this is easy. Everything's good. And then all of a sudden hard times hit, right? And what advice do you have for those founders that are facing burnout? And a lot of them, I guess there's two scenarios, right? A founder that's bootstrapped or majority bootstrapped and they've built this themselves. And then a founder that raised capital in the bull market and they're overcapitalized and revenue growth hasn't kept up. And now they're in a situation where they have a lot of money in the bank, but revenue is not growing at the tick that their investors expect. And now they're in a dicey situation where, what do I do with this money in the bank? What's my options here? Yeah, that's a tough situation. And I've sat in those, stood in those shoes. I've sat in that chair before. I've had businesses that were overcapitalized and there's too much money invested, not enough money coming in the door. So I had more money going out than coming in and I shut them down. I've also had businesses that were just like on the edge and I pushed through or I grinded it out and I was right. able to like a Phoenix rise. <laughs> and right. yeah, yeah. then I've had other businesses where well, there was an exit possibility and I went ahead and exited. It's tough when you're right. burnt out. And a lot of my clients will come to me when they're bored or they're burnt out or they have a new passion for something else. And usually when they approach me looking to sell, that desire and that mental outlook will determine the trajectory of the business. If you're not in like a positive mental space, I see time and time again, those businesses tend, tend to suffer. The best time to sell is when you don't need to, when things are easy, when you're making money right. hand over fist and you don't even, right. you don't even really want to sell. That's the best time to sell. Yeah. The most challenging time to sell is when you need to get out or when you need some money to pay off some investors. If it's declining, unfortunately, not many buyers want those kind of businesses because the buyer's thinking, wait right. a second, if the person who founded this can't turn this thing around, how could I? Right. So yeah. most buyers will tend to take a step back and say, let's wait and see how things go and let's talk later. Right. So you really have to make that call yourself and it's a painful one. I've been there. I've shut things yeah. down and I've sold stuff too. It can go either yeah. way. Sometimes it's like a real thin line between exiting and bankruptcy. And even one of my largest clients, we sold their business for $25 million. He wrote the foreword to my book, Maximum Exit. Mm -hmm. And he commented that during the period of time we were engaged to sell his business, he felt like he was teetering on the edge of bankruptcy. And it's not uncommon for these e-commerce businesses because the cash flow is you're having massive outlays into inventory and right. marketing and things can swing real fast. E-commerce is so cash flow re reliant that it's always a challenge in some ways to say, do I have enough to pay for a new order of product? A new yep. As we wrap up, I want to learn how does website closers work with business owners that are looking to sell? What's the structure? Is there upfront costs or just how does it work? Absolutely. We're like a real estate brokerage in the sense that we're performance only. So until the transaction closes and our clients get a wire, we don't get paid either. 
no retainers, no monthly fees. There's none of that. Because of that too, we will only accept listings that we think will sell. So I'll spend some time up front doing a free consultation. I'll do a business valuation for prospective sellers. I'll tell them what their trading range looks like, where I would think they would sell, what kind of buyers would be interested in them, what kind of structures they would see. We go through some scenarios of what they could expect to cash out. And if it's a mutual interview, I'm interviewing them to see if their business is the right fit. They're interviewing me to see if I'm the right fit. And if we all agree, then we get listed. I get the business marketed. I vet all the buyers. I create the offering memorandum. It's like some people call it a prospectus or a SEM. I do all of that work up front, no, no cost associated to it. We're both investing our time and energy into the transaction. And then if things go swimmingly, I'll be able to suss up a couple of LOIs. Sometimes we've got some bidding action. We've got several right. businesses that do really well. They might have multiple buyers that are vying for it. And we'll pick the best one. We'll work together to make sure the transaction gets done and help you get through due diligence, protect yourself. We do sometimes a little bit of, have some suggestions and point to some resources for tax strategies and for some other stuff so you make sure to minus the amount of cash in your pocket. It's all full service. It's basically white glove, concierge. I'm like your Mr. Wolf. I take care of everything for you. Until the day you get the wire, we are hip to hip. <laughs> That's great. That's cool. If a listener wants to get in touch and ask more questions, where can they find you, Nate? The best way is to email me, nate at websitecloasers.com. You can also go to my website, maximumexit.com. I've got a book where I've written about the 16 top questions most of my prospective clients have about the business. What's my multiple? How much is my business worth? Who are the buyers? That sort of stuff. If you email me, I can send you a free ebook as well. Would love your reviews too. That's always helpful. I'm on Amazon. That's but awesome. I can spare you the cost of it. Just looking for some reviews. Cool. Awesome. Nate, before we wrap up here, I've got one final question and that's my favorite one to ask, but what's one question that I didn't ask that you wish I had asked that you want to answer? So ask the question listeners and then give us your answer. Yeah. So the question is, Nate, if I'm not ready to exit, what's a way that I could capitalize on the situation if I know somebody? And we do a bunch of referrals. Would love your referral. Happy to pay. And this goes for you as the host of your podcast, but for any of your listeners, one of the things that we find, it's really, it's challenging to meet and talk with and network with e-commerce founders. So if you've got a buddy that's doing well and he's been thinking about an exit, happy to take a referral from you. I'll pay you 10% of the commissions that we make. For a $2 million deal, that ends up being a, typically a 10% engagement agreement. So it's a $200,000 commission and $20,000 to the referral agent. So it's big bucks. I paid tens of thousands. Actually, I paid over $100,000 just last year to one particular source and just out there beating the streets. I'd be happy to compensate anybody that looks upon us with their favor and we'll make it happen. Nice. Awesome. Nate, thanks so much for coming on e-commerce on tap. We really appreciate you. Thanks, David.